If you could open up your Bible to John 15, I would appreciate that. We're in a little 2022 little mini-series. Um, by the way, Katie, is that M- Anna? Hannah. Hannah, I went to Turkey with you like six years ago. I went to Turkey with Hannah and Katie on a missions trip to support missionaries in Turkey with IBM, or I, not IBM, <laughs> IMB, International Mission Board, like 300 Central Asian missionaries. And it was, I don't remember a ton because I'm old and I don't remember things anymore because of my kids, but I remember it was really fun and you were part of making it fun. So it's really great to see you. So listen, uh, we're in a short series on 2022, and the first week, we talked about God's great high priest for you. That message is online if you didn't get it. That is just walking with Jesus as our deepest, closest friend, deepest need and closest friend, full of compassion, full of sympathy for us and everything we go through. Last week, we talked about God's holy word for you in 2022. Next week, we're going to talk about God's people for you in 2022. But today, we're, we're coming back to John 15, and, and today's message is God's prayers for you in 2022. And the reason I call it God's prayers, it kind of sounds like a strange title, but I think I mean that. Um, hopefully, we'll see that as we go. God's prayers for you in 2022. And our text, our specific text is going to remain the same as it was last week, which is this specific focus on John 15, 7, where John writes the Lord's words, where Jesus says, if you... Abide in me and my words. I think we have a slide for that, Brando. It should be just that single verse. Yeah. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I want to look at this passage, this this one verse in its broad context. So we're going to go through verses 1 through 12 or verses 1 through 14 right now. That's the broader context in which that particular verse is situated. And I think seeing the broader context will help us understand that verse. Um, So I'm going to read through that right now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't start in the right place. Forgive me for that. Starting in 15.1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish And it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. 
abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. Lord, would you please bless your word this morning? Would you please glorify yourself? God, this is such a, a monumental, magnificent uh, t- passage. And I, Lord, I, I do feel a sense of trembling at your word and my inadequacy to see it both intellectually and in my mor- moral constitution and my, my sinfulness. And, and I pray you'd protect your word. You'd protect your word in this room. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher and that where I am teaching, your Holy Spirit would press that into the hearts of the hearers. And where I am not, your Holy Spirit would help, Lord, to uh, protect from error. Lord, would you please be glorified? There's nothing we need more and there's nothing more worthy than your glorification, than your being seen, than you being revered and treasured, and as we prayed, hallowed and honored. God, that is a miraculous task. We can't do that task. We can't make that task happen. So would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, because your Son has poured out his blood for us, would you please accomplish that task this morning? For that is why he died, that we might see you and see you through him that you might be glorified in our hearts and our hearts might be full of joy, cleaned, renewed, healed through seeing you in Jesus. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. So recall the context of this passage. I'm going to try to move through that broad passage quicker than I did last week just so we can get a handle on seven, but more briefly. The eve of Christ's crucifixion, these are his words. He's going to depart from earth soon. He has a message for all these men sitting at this table with him. And he has a message for all of us. Remain in me. Continue with me. That's what the word abide means. Don't fall away from me. Jesus is concerned that in the havoc that's about to ensue and in the temptations and struggles throughout their whole lives, He is concerned for his disciples abandoning him, giving up on him, and he warns them out of love that those who leave Christ find that their end is tragic. They are thrown away like a branch and wither, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So there's a great seriousness about Jesus' words, and he pleads, abide in me, continue with me, remain in me. Last week, I sought to summarize abiding in a very general way this way. And I think this is fair. I think I could, you know, I've done other messages on this and I tried to explain that last week, but I think this is a good summation statement for abiding. Could we put that up, Brando? To abide is to continue. That's the phrase up there on the first slide. And it'll come up in just a second, so you can listen to it. To abide is is to continue to trust in Jesus as our Savior from sin 
and to continue to follow him as our loving Lord, depending on his power to do so. To abide is to continue to trust in Jesus as our savior from sin and to continue to follow him as our loving Lord, depending on his power to do so. And we do this day by day, moment by moment. But Jesus says in this passage that a fundamental mark of abiding will be fruit bearing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we learn here that God is after fruit. That fruit isn't precisely spelled out here, but we we can certainly say that it is an expression of a life changed and united to Christ. Fruit would be in accordance with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. But, but not simply those moral categories by themselves, but those moral categories born out of a heart that's trusting in Christ as their Savior. Born out of a heart that's following Christ as their Lord. So these categories exist of love and joy and peace in a unique way for Christians. That is, they come out of a relationship with Jesus where day by day, moment by moment, you're trusting him to continue to save you from your sins, to continue to lead you and give you the strength to follow him. And that brings out this fruit that God is looking for. The fruit will mean that the will of God is accomplished in and through your life, and the love you give to God, and the love you give to your neighbors. Jesus tells us that fruit-bearing will involve difficulty. It does involve pruning in verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That is, God will bring his people through trials and suffering to grow them. But that end result is not meant for destruction, but for lasting spiritual fruit. Jesus also tells us that apart from him, we can't do anything for him. Apart from him, we can't do anything for him. If God doesn't act in us and through us, nothing gets done. Nothing spiritually worthwhile or lasting gets done. So he says, remain in me. Keep trusting me as your savior from your sins. Keep following me as your Lord, depending on my power to do so. And in verse 11, we see why Jesus wants this for us. He says, verse 11 one of the reasons, there's, there's at least two main ones, but one of the reasons is that he wants us to have joy in him. These things I have spoken to you that, you may, that joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The reason is Jesus is telling us to abide and being honest even about the dangers we face if we refuse him is that he wants us to experience true joy, everlasting joy, mingled with sorrow and pain and suffering in this world and completely free of all of those in the next. But true, lasting joy is his desire for us. So abiding is crucial. Abiding is foundational. Abiding is synonymous to living the Christian life. You cannot be a Christian and not abide. Whatever Jesus means here about continuing in him, remaining in him, it is is not an option for us. And and as we go through this passage, 
Jesus is going to explain more practically about what abiding is. Two key aspects we will see here. These are ways we abide. One way is our love for one another. We saw that in verse 10 through 13. We'll talk about that next week. Right here in verse 7, though, we get this other aspect of abiding. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here, Jesus gives us a crucial and central key to abiding in him. His words remaining or abiding in us. Last week, we looked at the first half of this verse about his words abiding and remaining. Today, I want to focus more on the second half to explore the connection between his words and this really incredible promise. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says that if his words remain in us, for abiding in him and his actual words remain in us, If we ask whatever we wish, it will be done for us. And and he explains the purpose of that in verse 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This fruit bearing that marks true Christians comes when we let Jesus' words remain in us and shape our hearts and inform our prayers. That's what he's saying. This fruit bearing that marks true Christians, that marks abiding, comes when we let Jesus' words remain in us, shape our hearts, and inform our prayers. And God promises, when you pray with my son's words, shaping your heart, shaping your desires, your requests, ask whatever you want and I will do it. And why? let's explore this connection. Why? What's the connection between Jesus' words? And by the way, when I say Jesus' words, I I mean everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus said through his apostles. So I'm talking about the entire New Testament. And of course, Jesus is in God, and so his words are in the Psalms. His words are in Exodus. His words are in Isaiah. But, But particularly, Jesus is for certain explaining that in the context of John, the words he is speaking to those people, and in that gospel, in the words that he says he will speak to his apostles through the Holy Spirit, the unique words of the new covenant that are going to come through those apostles and the letters that they wrote us, that these are the words that are to remain in us, to abide in us. And he says, when those words inform your heart, shape your prayers, God will give you what you ask for. So why? What's the connection between the word of God in the new covenant especially, and God answering our prayers. So first, I want you to just to think basically about words again. Like, let's just think just basic, foundational, what goes on with words. You can't come to know anyone without words. You can't. Inside me is a soul. And in that soul are thoughts and feelings and desires. And they're all unseen by you unless I let them out. You can't know me. You can't know my invisible soul, my thoughts, my feelings, my desires, my experiences, my hopes, my dreams, my fears. You can't know any of that. They're all unseen to you unless by my words I make them visible to you. With words, I tell you what is in my invisible soul that you cannot see. 
And when I tell you those words, my invisible soul becomes visible to your invisible soul. You get it? I mean, it's just very foundational, very basic. To a large degree, who we are is hidden from one another. But when we use words, honestly and truly, and we share them with each other, that invisible person that I am, that you are, becomes visible to each of us. Well, the same is true with Jesus. Jesus' words allow his invisible soul to become knowable to us. Words allow Jesus to show us what his heart is like. His words tell us what he's like when he says, I am gentle and humble of heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is showing us his soul. Words allow Jesus to show us his divine nature. When he says before Abraham, I was. I'm sorry, Lord, that's exactly the point. I said that wrong. When he says before Abraham, I am. Taking upon himself the character of Yahweh. The I am that I am. When he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm sorry, I I lost my track. When, When he says I and the Father are one. Or when he's standing in front of Thomas. And Thomas says my Lord and my God and worships him. And Jesus affirms and doesn't rebuke Thomas. He's showing us who he is. His divine nature. He shows us what he wants. His will. When he says, I came to seek and save those who are lost, that's how we know what Jesus wants. That's how we know his motive for coming to this earth. When he says, whoever comes to me, let him deny myself, take up his cross each day and follow me. He's showing what he wants from us, what his will is for us. So words allow Jesus, just like they allow us, to define himself, to make his heart visible, They allow him to say what should be and what should not be, right? When he tells us he wants justice and not mercy. I am really losing it. When he tells us he wants justice and mercy. When he tells us he doesn't want cruelty and and bitterness. When he tells us he wants love and forgiveness and he doesn't want strife or indifference. When he tells us he deserves worship and trust, not mere lip service and hypocrisy. He's telling us about himself. He's telling us what he wants. So as these words enter us, and this is really crucial. It's a whole other sermon. When Jesus' words enter us, those who belong to him those who are in him, the Holy Spirit is able to take those words and cause them to show us who Jesus is so that we know him intimately, so that we begin to want to know him more, so that crucially his words don't just stay abstract, but they become beautiful to us. The Holy Spirit makes these words beautiful to us. The Holy Spirit tells us these words are true. The Holy Spirit makes us want these words. The Holy Spirit tells us that they're good and they're right and that that's because Jesus is beautiful and good and right. And the Holy Spirit makes us, hearing these words of Jesus, come to see him, want to know him. And guess what happens when we pray through that process? Our hearts begin to want what he wants. Our hearts begin to be shaped by the shape of his heart and his character. And when we pray, 
the very will of God inflicts, in, infects our own prayers. The very, very will of God infects our own desires. And our, our prayers begin to fall in tune with his will. And they no longer exist separate from God's agenda, but they exude his agenda. Our prayers become the very means by which God actually accomplishes his will on earth. And that's why Jesus can make this shocking promise. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not a recipe for positive thinking or for name it, claim it, wherein we can, through the power of faith, get God to do what we want. No, it's, it's inverted. It's not, it's not our ability to create a reality different from God, the one we've always wanted. That, that's called sorcery. This is not name it, claim it. This is know his words, and I have a slide for this, a little tiny, I don't know if you'd call it a poem or a syllogism, This is know his words, know his heart. Pray his will, see him answer. That's what this is a recipe for. Know his words and you get to know his heart. And then you pray his will and you see him answer. Know his words and you get to know his heart and you pray his will and you see him answer. Jesus is saying exactly what John himself will say in his own letter years later. In his first letter, John gives us this very, very powerful, but very similar promise. He says, this is the confidence that we have toward him. I have a slide for this. This is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That's a bold promise. I think it's both more true and a more rugged, more ruggedly attained promise. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the requests we've asked of him. Well, how do we know his will? How do you know God's will? You know it through his words. You know it through his heart. And you know his heart through his words. When we pray his will, wanting his will, he's pleased to answer. James says it negatively in his fourth chapter in his letter. He says, you desire and do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, in the context of both of these verses in James, James is picturing someone whose heart is so ruled And filled with what they want for themselves. And so ruled by that myopically. Because anger and murderous thoughts of of hatred and anger are coming out of their hearts. And he says, he says, that's so ruling you. You can't conceive of what the God who is love wants. So you're not going to get what you're praying for. 
Because God's not going to change his heart for your passions. But rather, we're to change our heart for his passions. What about the famous prayer in Matthew 5? About being able to move mountains if we just believe. Isn't that, isn't there a song in Prince of Egypt? You can move mountains if you just believe. Something like that. Is that how it goes, kind of? Beautiful rendition. You're welcome. But, but that's a big deal, right? If we just believe. And I mean, even the, the world is, so many people in this world understand the power of positive thinking, the power of just saying, this is going to happen. I'm going to be determined. I'm going to envision my reality. It's going to take place. So it isn't, isn't it really about faith in Matthew 5? To be sure, faith is really important. And that, again, is another message. Faith is really important. God talks a lot about praying and not giving up, implying that a lot of times prayers are going to take a long time. And he wants us to keep praying and keep praying and not give up. Faith glorifies God. It expresses our humble need for him. Faith depends on God, not on ourselves. Faith says, I'm dependent on you. It's it's humble to to believe. Faith says about God, you're not a liar. I'm I'm, going to give you the credit you deserve. Faith's really important. But let's look at that passage on moving mountains. And I I hope we'll see the answer to this question of, isn't it really a function of faith? And what does this mean about moving mountains? Well, look at it again. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Incredible promise. Must mean something, right? And we look at what we're seeing today in John 15. We look at 1 John. We see these parallels. And, and, but here it's faith. It's faith. If we just believe and how important it is to keep believing and not doubt, not give up. And I think what we so often miss in this passage is the whole basis of faith, the whole object of faith, the whole foundation of this mountain-moving faith is in the first four words, have faith in God. Have faith in God. He doesn't say, have faith in faith. Jesus is saying, trust in the God whom you are asking. But you cannot trust in the God he's talking about if you don't know that God. And you can't really know that God if you don't listen to him. If you don't listen to his words. That's how you get to know God. That's how he's primarily revealed himself to us is in his words. So this is really in accordance with what Jesus is saying in our verse today. Know my heart. Know what I want. Have faith, not in faith, but have faith in who I am. Have faith in my character by getting to know who I am, what I want in my character. And how do we do that? We let his word remain in us. We look at his words, we ponder them, we care about them. We, we respect them, we try to revere them. We plead with the Holy Spirit to tune our heart to them, to show us what they mean and to make us like them and want them. And then when we, according to his heart, pray, he is glad to answer because we're after what he's after. 
you want to test my theory here that Jesus' heart as reflected in his word is to shape and fill our prayers. If you want to test my theory that Jesus' heart as reflected in his word is to shape and fill our prayers, look at the prayers of the Apostle Paul. When you look at Paul's prayers in his letters, you're going to notice that his requests always center on two things. All of his prayers center on two things. God's people and God's glory. God's people and God's glory are the substance of Paul's passion in his prayers. Paul prays for the good of the church, the salvation of the lost, all resulting in the glory of God. The people seeing God everywhere. We look at one of his most famous prayers in Ephesians 3. See what Paul prays about. See what's at the core of the heart of his prayer. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything and in heaven and on earth. I pray, what does he pray? I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's God's people. That's prayer for their faith to be real, to endure to glorify Christ, not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I just want you to see that this magnificent prayer, which again deserves its own series, that the substance of the prayer is God's people and God's glory. That's what filled Paul's prayer. Paul In this prayer, in in the prayers in the scriptures, you won't find him praying for money. You won't find him praying for a new horse to go on his trips with. You won't find him praying for better tent-making tools. And guess what? I'm sure he prayed for all those things. I'm sure he prayed for all those things. But his priority, his priority was always on the good of people in God. His priority was always on people's good in the glory of God. And that might be like a bummer for you right now. Because you're just like, doesn't he care about me? Like, I'm struggling here, God. Why is it got to be again about your glory and people? I, I understand that. And if we take that to mean that God doesn't care about us, we've, then we've got a whole other thing to work on. <laughs> because it's not what it means. Jesus promises that this kind of praying born out of that kind of heart is the very best thing for you and the sure road to true joy. This is a paradox of sorts, but Jesus promises that as your heart is full more and more of his concern 
for your brothers and sisters, of his concern for the lost around you, as for, from, for his concern, for his father being seen in this world and hallowed in his world, that that is the best thing for you and that that is the sure road to true joy. Look at verse 11. He's not, he's not ignoring us or he it's not that he doesn't care about us. His whole point, he says after all this, he says, here's the reason I'm even saying this to you. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. God wants you to have joy, true, deep, lasting joy above circumstances when they're great, when they're bad, above the people in your life when they treat you well, when they treat you poorly. He wants you to have real joy. And you might, you know, okay, how's that gonna work? I I need my boss to respect me is what I need. I need my classmates to think I'm beautiful and not ugly, smart and not dumb. I, I know what I need. I know what I feel I need all the time. Would well, you know what that's like when we do that? Because I do that all the time. I do that every day, multiple times a day. I say in my heart, this is what I need most, God. <laughs> this is what I need most. And it's not hallowed be your name. It's this thing with this person and this stone in my shoe with this issue and this fear I have about this thing. That's what I need dealt with right now. <laughs> that's, that's the way my heart goes. And when I put those things above, hallowed be thy name, not that God doesn't care about them, but when I invert the order, when that becomes the steady place of my heart that what I want What I need is defined by me. It's like a car, if it could talk, telling the engineer who designed it, how is gasoline going to help me? What do you know? I need mayonnaise in here. In this tank, would you please put mayonnaise? And the engineer's like, "I I made, I know what's best for you, car. I made you. Why are you asking for mayonnaise? Ask for gasoline. Of course, that's a little bit bifurcated because a lot of the things we, we struggle with, all the, th- all the things that we struggle with, God wants us to bring to him and talk to him about. But when we get to that place that what, what we, what's central to us is this thing, and, and as we read his words, we see it's not what he's consumed with. It's not what his heart is consumed with and what Paul's prayers, for instance, are occupied with. And we have, we, we have work to do. But, but we, it's not impossible for us to see how this brings us joy, right? You, you all can, can do the, the, the math with me on this. You're in a protracted conflict with someone, spouse, child, member here, neighbor, coworker. You're filled with pain and anger in your heart. There's been real suffering through the relationship. And in your heart is, you just get to this place. I can't stand them. And your heart begins to crave. I just want them to get what's coming to them. I really want to see them just get nailed. Like, get the condemnation and the pain they deserve. But God's not going to answer that prayer right now. There's a day of judgment coming where he will make all things right. But that's not what he is doing right now. 
He did not come to bring judgment, but to save. He's not going to answer that desire for you. It's just going to feed more mayonnaise into your engine. It's just going to feed your heart more death. But if, <laughs> if you're fighting to remain in him and his words remain in you, then his spirit may say to your soul, remember my words. I commanded you to love even your enemies. And that sounds hard and that sounds impossible, but you remember more of his words. And remember that he says, I'm not just commanding you, I'm with you in this. I'm a compassionate, sympathetic high priest who knows how hard this is for you. Don't you give up on me and my compassion and my care. I suffered the worst temptations to be vengeful with my enemies and I still love them. And I know exactly how to help you do that. So don't you dare leave my throne of grace. I care about you and I will help you. And then what do you do? You camp out on that prayer. You make that your heart's prayer. Lord, help me love my enemies. Help me see your power that I don't have. Help me love my enemies. Give me the grace and mercy I need. It's not a name it, claim it, but it is know his words, know his heart. Pray his will and see him answer. Say you're with someone who you know needs the gospel. A brother or sister, another co-worker. You, and you see a clear opportunity. I mean, God just opens up a, a, a pathway that looks, you know, two miles by two miles wide. And to tell them the gospel. They're letting you into their world and they're talking about their shame or their guilt. Or, and you just, you, you just know, oh Lord, this is such a great opportunity. And then as you imagine talking to them about sin and their need for forgiveness and God's judgment that's coming, you, you begin to just fear their disapproval. You contemplate their rejection. And you just, you're just like, oh man, I can't talk to them about sin and their need for a savior. And this is... They're, they're going to just hate that. They're going to, oh, you're one of those, Bible thumper. Or, I thought you cared about me. All that stuff. And you're just like, oh, forget it, forget it, forget it. And then you remember Jesus' words. Because his words are remaining in you. You remember when he said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words before man, I will be ashamed of him before my heavenly father. And that feels heavy and impossible. But then the spirit reminds you of other words he says, that he is gentle and humble of heart and that Jesus will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but he promises to provide a way out. And so you stake your claim on that word and you just pray, God, you have promised a way out of my cowardice right now. I do not want to do this. I am, I am not proud of you in this moment. I want to hide but you've promised me a way out. So you run to God and you, you just pray and you camp out on that promise. And something miraculous happens. You just, maybe the person utters something like, are you a Christian? <laughs> you know, do you know how to get out of this? Or maybe you just realize that, oh my gosh, I'm just filled with such a love for them. That there's just no, I mean, I've had that happen a few times, like where I just feel so tense or so fearful and I'm being dominated by fear and I'm praying. And all suddenly I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just really care about this person so much more than I am able to. So that my words, they start to come easy. 
And they start to come courageous, and, but they start to come really gentle with all kinds of qualifications and, and bridges of kindness and humility and even tears. So that even if they reject you, your love for that person is such a miracle to your heart, you can bear it. I mean, God's able to do things that you could never imagine to get you out of stuff that you just can't get out of on your own. And that's where he does want us to keep believing. That's where he does want us to move mountains by not giving up on his promise and staking our claim there and staying there. But it's all coming from his words. So listen, I, I also don't want you to hear what I'm not saying this morning. None of this means that we don't ask God for the things we need to live in this world. Jobs, money, homes. He told us to ask for those things. We prayed it this morning. It's one of the reasons why we did that prayer. It's, in it, it's what he wants us to do every single day is to say, give us this day our daily bread. And obviously he doesn't just mean literal whole wheat wonder bread. He means the things that we need, please give them to us. He wants you to ask him every day. And, and something else is true too. And some of you older saints who've experienced a long track record of intimacy with God, you know this well. God loves to give blessings. He loves to give gifts and friendships and good jobs, even husbands and wives. So ask for those things with an open hand. The open hand of a child that trusts that he knows what's best. Keep asking for those things with an open hand of a child that trusts that he knows best, not, not the clutching grab that demands your will be done. If you don't give me this, we're done. You might not say that, but you feel that. Because God is, I, I hesitate to use this word, but it's just true. He's a sweet God. He knows how to be really sweet to us and really kind to us. Rob, we've talked about the place that God's given you. You know, that, that home where he just blessed you with. And, and just, I'm sorry to call you out, but it just blessed my heart to hear you just, man, I'm in this place of great need and all of a sudden he just drops. It's a beautiful place to live. It's not a mansion, but it's, it's so tender and so sweet and so dear and he knows how to be sweet and he cares about us deeply. But the, the greatest gifts of God are not material, they're spiritual. And even when he gives these material good gifts, he can give them in a spiritual way that we know that he's meeting us deep in our heart. And those gifts that he gives on a spiritual level, like the changed heart that, that starts to want his glory, and you start to feel the freedom from the slavery of needing to get your own way, it's beautiful to start to feel the freedom from that. It's just a beautiful gift. The, the contentment in, in lots of hard situations that comes from re, in, in real suffering, he can give a contentment that you just sense from his nearness with you. It's a beautiful gift. The self-control that you, you prayed this morning, you could get through your workday without looking at Facebook 75 times and you really banked out on his promise and you find you just have self-control today to order and, and bring peace to your life. It's such a beautiful gift. The, the boldness to share his name without shame but with joy and love for people. That's a miracle when he gives that gift and it feels amazing. The forgiving spirit after praying for a long time 
against the hatred in your heart and the, the bitterness and the anger. And he just starts to, may take weeks, may take months, may take longer. He just starts to melt it away. And he gives you this forgiving spirit that guess what it does? It heals your own pain too, right? It heals your own pain too. Those are the answers to prayer that, that show us his heart and they show his heart to those around us. Those are the answers of prayer that bear fruit, his fruit, that show that we're really his disciples. But none of this, none of this is possible without you abiding in Jesus and his words abiding in you. I mean, he, he, he does a lot of freebie stuff, but, but, Having a life that's shaped this way and that's bearing fruit this way, this continual abiding, it is not possible without his words abiding in you. If you want joy, if you want fruit, if we want to prove we're his disciples, I don't mean prove to the world, I just mean to show that we're his disciples. If we don't want to end up a broken off branch thrown into the fire, we must abide in him and his words must abide in us. That's what he's saying in this passage. We must spend time with him. We must hear his words. We must meditate on them. They must shape our heart. We must pray them. So are we? Are we? Are are we making time for him and his words? Are we making time for the Holy Spirit to be able to make his words beautiful to us? It doesn't happen automatically a lot. His words can be very confusing. His words can feel like a brick wall. But we have to keep going. Rest on these promises. We have to keep asking, Spirit, make these words seeable to me. Make them beautiful to me. So are we doing that? Are are you doing that? Because that's abiding. That's going to be fruit bearing. That's normal Christianity. That's not a special prize for elites. So I want to appeal to myself again and to you. If you have not, I just want to appeal to you. Make 2022 a year of abiding in his word and praying his prayers. Just say, Lord, I I want to do this. I I want to do this. I, I want to make this a year where my phone, my social media feed, my TV shows, my video games, my job advancement, the extra hours at work, my soccer practices, my homework, my hanging out with my friends, I want all of that to get in line behind you. All, all can be good stuff. Get in line. Get behind me and God. You can, you can have some time here, soccer games and time on my phone and TV you, and homework. and You can have some time. You can have chunks. But get in line. Get behind me and God. Get in line behind me and giving his word enough of my attention so that I can hear his voice among all the noise that's around me all the time. Make that 2022 a year of God's prayers coming out of your life because his word is infecting your heart. So if you want to know how to do this, if you want help doing this, I got more specific direction, more practical guidance than you want. I literally have written like a 15-page paper on this. It's, it's on our website. We talk about it like every three weeks. 
I, I have prayer on the webpage that I've written. It's just the Bible. It's just the Bible so that you can pray the words of Christ, be met with his truth, and bear fruit through his promises. I have smarter authors than me for sure. I can direct you to. I have a prayer for our church that's, again, just the Bible made into a prayer. I have, I, I've, yeah, I have more practical guidance than, than you probably want or need. I have books to direct you to. But the, the, the main point that I want to bring to you this morning is practical guidance can come, but we have to want that. We have to come to a place where we want that kind of joy. We want that kind of fruit that God promises so that we're willing to make room for whatever the practical guidance might be. But it comes from a heart that wants to abide in his vine, bear fruit for his glory, and experience his joy. So please let me know if you'd like to know more. Come to prayer on Tuesday night and let's pray the Bible together. Let's get out the word of God and just go over go over a psalm and just Pour it out to God. Lord, help me not sit in the seat of scoffers or walk in the way of mockers. Help me, Lord, be planted beside still waters like a tree that bears its fruit in season. Let me meditate on your words day and day and night, Lord. Please help my heart to make room for you and push away the TV shows that I don't need all of that TV. (laughs) Help me know what that looks like. Join us for what's left of our 30-day challenge. Jump on a a little text thread. We're we're trying to help each other keep doing that. Just 30 days of the Bible, six days a week. And we'll start another 30 day right after. When we're done with this 30 day, whoever wants to, I'm ready to go for the next 30 day. Maybe you can't bite off a whole year in your heart right now, but you can bite off a test period of a month and see what it does to your life. But really, brothers and sisters, that's my appeal is, is may we want this. Maybe we want this. Maybe we see the urgency of it, the necessity of it in our lives and, and, and want it. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, would you help us to make other things, good things, but lesser things, get in line behind you in our lives. May we know what that's to look like. May this year be a year where we see fruit in our lives, born out of prayers prayed out of your heart, that you would answer according to your heart. May you help us to not give up when we don't see the answer, but to continue to bank on your promises. May you shape our prayers so that there's, Lord, you're not simply an academic, but, but give us insight so that our prayers really do get shaped in ways that you... You really, they, they really do form prayers that you will answer. So we see your power. We see your glory. We see your sovereignty manifest in our lives, God. Would you help us, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.